Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today's topic is sugar addiction, food addiction, and ditching the diet mentality. My guest, Erin Wathen, is a holistic health coach and a food abuse counselor. She is also the author of the brand new book, Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? How to End the Food Drama. So stay tuned for our chat, and you can find more episodes, and you can find my blog on my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Goth Tours. This is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. Hi, I'm Don Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, my guest is Erin Wathen. She's a health translator and the author of a book called Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? Hi, Erin. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining me on A Teaspoon of Healing. Absolutely. So you are a holistic health coach and a food abuse counselor. Now, that is really interesting to me. What does a food abuse counselor do? I think that's something that's really needed today. Well, a lot of us understand conceptually that sugar is addictive, that you can have cravings that are out of control for junk food. And we all agree obesity is a huge problem in America, dot, dot, dot. But are we addicted to food? Not so much. We have that huge disconnect. So my training is a lot in helping people connect the dots in their own behavior. And what's interesting is you can be a sugar addict and be normal weight. You can also be overweight and not a food addict. It's not one in the same. And just getting people to understand like where they fall on the spectrum of normal eating versus, you know, addictive eating because a lot of us just have kind of sloppy habits and there's nothing really crazy, psychological, addictive, chemically behind it. And then others have a bad day and we're mainlining sugar basically in the car. So there's a whole range of it. And the more we know about the brain, the more we know about sugar, and the more we know about how so many people are secretly eating, the more we're able to help people just connect the dots. And in a lot of other countries, food addiction is just accepted as fact. 
in America, it is not at all. Even though, like, for instance, on Halloween, the day after, many parents will tell you their kids were not cute that morning on the November 1st. Mm-hmm. They were like zombies, you know, all the sugar, bad sleep, grumpy. So there was definitely a reaction to all the sugar and, you know, they didn't sleep well. But can sugar be addictive? That might be a harder agreement for them to um, come around to. But it is. It's really addictive. I Wasn't there a study that compared it to cocaine? I'm not sure if it was proven incorrect or not. I thought it, it was, was proven correct. I've seen all the really yeah. scary rat um, videos. Yeah. And, you know, there's, they got rats addicted to cocaine, then they got rats addicted to sugar, then they gave the rats the choice of sugar over high fructose corn syrup. And the rats chose high fructose corn syrup over everything else. So that's the crazy thing is that, you know, we're always don't do drugs, don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're sad. You have a cookie <laughs> or it's Christmas or it's San- Sunday, Saturday, Tuesday, whatever. So sugar is so normalized. And I definitely was one of those people who, had tons of sugar mm-hmm. in my life for years, if not decades. And everyone sort of thought it was fine because I was normal weight, but I had tons of symptoms of crazy things medically. Mm-hmm. And the doctors never said anything. No one else really caught on. And I had to catch it in myself to say, hey, this is not cool. And how did you notice besides the the symptoms? I also had some of the same things as well. And they, yeah, you're right. They don't take it seriously. They really don't. They seem to focus on... Have some, have some oat brand circa 1992. Exactly. No, I think it was just, you know, realizing if I didn't have sugar by like two o'clock in the afternoon that I was not a nice person. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still having a lot of problems with acne well into my mid-30s. I was getting cavities, just... I had to have sugar. Like I would have sugar hidden like all throughout like my car and the house and my kids were annoying, which was a lot of the time, you know, I needed sugar. Um, I was living off of sugar and diet Coke for years and years. And what still just kills me is that all these expensive specialists I went to, no one ever asked, what are you eating? No one ever. They don't ask. It's very true. And they're not really trained. In nutrition, doctors don't take any. Nurses have to take a couple chloruses, but doctors, none. <laughs> no nutrition. Yeah, I was talking to my dermatologist about it because I have a teenager and, you know, I was talking to my teenager about, you know, let's let's get rid of some of the, you know, the areas in your diet that could help. And she was saying that she didn't even get any nutrition training. Like, I know more than she yeah. does and she's a board certified dermatologist. Because it is such a huge difference and not in the way that, you know, French fries cause acne like they thought back Mm -hmm. in the day, but the blood sugar spikes that when you're on and off sugar is it causes inflammation and all disease comes from inflammation. So when we're having a lot of highs and lows, that will cause our skin to clog basically and be dull and age quicker and a bunch of other things. So that's why I was having so many problems with my skin. And once I laid off all of the sugar, my skin cleared up. So it's one of those things we're looking back on. It was so obvious, but at the time they just kept like prescribing me things. 
Yep. And that's, and that's what they do. And now I recently did a whole 30 and I've done a sugar detox before and where you can't have any added sweeteners, you can't have even honey or agave. And I know they know they're a little healthier, but they're still sugar. And I really felt a lot better. And so do you also agree like the honey, the other sweeteners, if you have a problem with sugar, which a lot of us do, I know I do, that you probably should try to avoid even those as much as you can. Does it seem to trigger the memory of sugar or just the cravings? Because it did for me. It just triggers it. And then I want it again. It it triggers it for your brain. I mean, it's so close. Agave, honey, maple syrup, they're all better than than caro syrup, which is a fancy name for high fructose corn syrup. But to our brain and to our behavior, like you were saying, it triggered you. It's really close. Like I said, it's better version. It has fiber. It comes from Whole Foods. You know, it's cuter. But you know, oftentimes there's this tendency to want to do swaps. We swap out the sugar and we add an agave, and we swap out this and we add that. Is it really healthier per se, or is it just different? And so with sugar specifically, it's oftentimes just different, but it's still sweet. And I'm guessing you were triggered and you, and you wanted sugar even more mm-hmm. after you'd had the agave, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. There's your answer, how you felt. So I don't really go near any of that stuff. I mean, like, it's just, I know it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people will say, well, I'm trying to get off of sugar. Should I white knuckle it? Should I, you know, downshift into agave? Even my own brother asked me this. He asked me this a lot, I think, because he doesn't like the answer. (laughs) But I always say, like, if you're going with the intention of weaning yourself off, like, it's better than, you know, the genetically modified, manipulated version that is the other stuff. But you have to, you know, have a plan of, the beginning of the next month, you're going to have less and less and less, but you can't just stay on agave for the next five years because you're still sugar. So it's better, but it's not where you should be landing. Right. So you think just to white knuckle it, is that, was that your advice to your brother? No, I mean, I'm a white knuckle kind of gal, but I know a lot of people that makes them want to run away and go have a whole bunch of sugar. So However you feel when I say that, (laughs) just figure out which works best for you, but just resist the temptation just to stay in like the land of swaps because you can't stay there forever. There's so many websites devoted and cookbooks and blogs to, you know, ways to keep the sugar in your life and call it something else but you're really not helping yourself that much. It's very easy to stay in that same place, just having agave. And isn't it true? We were talking before we got on the podcast about your brain remembering the endorphins from the sugar. There's a memory of it. So it makes it taste even better. Yeah. Your brain works against our own best interests, which is just so rude. Uh, there's this thing called euphoric recall. So if you're like, you did the whole 30 thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you got rid of the crazy hidden sources of sugar, like mustard, right? Things you never worried about. And when you had the sugar, your brain was so excited 
that you finally wised up, right? And it made it taste better than it would have normally, meaning euphoric recall. So you wouldn't do the crazy thing you did, i.e. not having it again. So that's why when someone relapses on traditional drugs, as we think, it's so much more intense for them. The experience is so much harder for them to come back from. So if we're off of sugar for 30 days, we're doing a whole 30, yay, yay. And then day 31, we're like, that was great. That's over. Bring it on. And we do a deep dive into, you know, a bag of candy. It's going to taste great. All these other things, it's going to taste even better than it would have tasted a month before because our body's working against us. It's, it seems like our body wouldn't want to do that, but it actually wants to keep the stimuli coming. So how does it do that? It ups the dopamine, it ups the pleasure, it ups everything it can to have us keep that chemical inside of our body. So what if it crashes in 20 minutes? Eh, we'll just have more sugar, right? It's so crazy. And it's so true. I know. I didn't really, after it was done, I haven't really added it back in. I did try a piece of candy, a, a nougat, um, nougat, sorry, from that I'd gotten when I was traveling over in France over the summer. I saved some. And yeah, I I did. It did taste really, really good. And yeah. I actually even felt a little like... There's a little bit of euphoria you will feel from sugar. You don't even notice. You don't notice it normally if you're eating it, but being gone from it for a month. And I'm not that I ate a ton of candy before. I mean, I used to. I used to be like you when you were telling your story. That was me. But prior to that (laughs) month, I hadn't, you know, I thought I had cut it down, but no, I hadn't. I was swapping. And it was really interesting because I felt the, a little bit of energy. I was like, this is weird. And then I could feel it coming down. Like this, it really is a drug. It really just hit home. Now, what is what about fruit? What do you think about fruit? I think fruit is definitely something that we should be eating with a very clear intention. Like, for example, it's very easy to eat an entire mm-hmm. bag of dried mangoes like they're candy. I eat a lot of berries if I'm going to eat fruit. I typically eat fruit in the morning with a meal. Some of those smoothies from the smoothie companies have mm-hmm. more sugar than Coke look on the back. So I'm all for fruit if you don't OD on it and you don't snack on it all day. Like I remember a couple years ago and I used to work for them. So I can say this with a little bit of authority. Weight Watchers said you could eat mm-hmm. fruit all day and still lose weight. I remember thinking, yeah, that's not going to work because if you're eating mangoes all day, it's still extra calories, sugar. They're still going to you know, the hormonal response of that food you cannot get away from. So having some fruit is fine. Don't have it be this huge emotional experience. You know, it's, it should be with a meal. And, you know, there's a glycemic index, which basically ranks all the food as far as the sugar load it has on our body or sugar impact. So for example, on one end, we'll have something that's very, very low sugar impact. Like, think about like how about blueberries, mm-hmm. right? Other end, we'll have carol syrup. So, I typically stick with fruit that is on the lower end. Like I said, raspberries, blueberries, and you know, berries. There's a lot of fiber. And they're kind of like 
funky a little bit, like compared to like a mango or pineapple, anything with that's very sweet. So if anything's very sweet, why is it sweet? It's sugar. Yeah, it's natural sugar versus added sugar. So your body knows what to do with natural sugar more than added mm-hmm. sugar, but it's still sugar. So let's just eat it in moderation and be mindful when we're eating it. So when you're having it, enjoy it, but just be aware that like we're not that far away like from an evolution perspective from when fruit was few and far between. So back before there was Whole Foods, <laughs> when we had to go find our own fruit all the time, when we couldn't get where I live in the Northeast, we couldn't get, you know, cantaloupe in January. We had to eat very seasonally. We had to eat locally. And having all this fruit flown in from all over the world wasn't an option. So a lot of us are just used to eating whatever we want, whenever we want, because it's sold at the local grocery store. So try to eat fruit that's from your geographic area. Try to eat it mindfully. And also, don't eat the same amount of fruit as you eat vegetables. You should always be like 3Xing the amount of vegetables as you are fruit. Like vegetables should be the mainstay of your diet. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all of that information. I was hoping it will help people because I know a lot of people are struggling with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, green vegetables, French fries do not count or corn. <laughs> Those are basically just bread. <laughs> your book, Why Can't I Stick to My Diet?, what is a reason why diets don't work and we should kind of get away from the diet mentality? Why can't people stick to their diet? Because they're all, cause they go on them on the first place. Because mm-hmm. you think about a diet, right? It's sort of like almost a carousel. We go on it with the intention of going off of it. So we're going to go on this thing for a while and we're going to do what we need to do and we're going to get the results we want and then we're going to get off of it and then things are going to be fine. I know because I went on about a million of them. So Mm -hmm. for three months, three weeks, whatever we decide, we're going to only drink smoothies or we're going to only eat between these hours or we're going to eat this prepackaged food that's from a bomb shelter or whatever we're deciding we're going to do. But we never ever deal with how we gained weight or why we gained weight in the first place or what we're going to do afterwards. Because there's always an emotional component when we gain weight, even if we don't think there is. Because let's face it, like to eat past the point of full, to eat when we're not hungry, to eat food that we know doesn't serve us, why would we go against our own best interests? Why would we do that? Like what is going on internally that we're not addressing? What unmet needs need to be addressed? So, But instead of doing that, because that could be icky and emotional and maybe upsetting, we decide we're going to like count points or cut out food groups or do the new trendy thing that every one of the gym's doing. So we get on the diet carousel for however many days, weeks, months we need to do it. And then we get off of it because we've lost, you know, the 20, 30, 40 pounds or whatever. And nothing's changed inside of our head as far as how we deal with life. So maybe we're still in ketosis or whatever, but as far as what happens when we get a parking ticket or how we're going to manage 
our mother-in-law. We never dealt with that. Mm-hmm. We were so busy obsessing over whether or not we were going to get the right cut of beef or whatever. So we're almost distracting ourselves with process instead of the source of everything. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the food goes, we don't really have a plan for afterwards a lot of the time because so many people just decided I'm going to stick to this plan for X amount of days or weeks or day months or whatever it is. And then when I'm finally at my goal weight, I can eat how I want, which is such a like fantasy, right? Right. It goes against all logic, but we all thought that for a long time. So if I starve myself for three months and then I get to, you know, 125, then I can eat fettuccine Alfredo all day, which makes zero sense. But we all thought that. Right. So that's a lot of it. It's a lot of just magical thinking. So in a nutshell, those are the main reasons diet don't diets don't work because the emotional component, the food component, and also like the the what the now what. Like what skills did you not develop moving on? Like you're going to get to a cocktail party. What are you going to do? There's going to be those times when you're on a plane. What are you going to do? Because life is not going anywhere. There's always going to be, you know, pigs in a blanket and pizza. So how are you going to handle these situations? And it's fabulous if you know how many calories are in an apple, but what are you going to do about it? that's what so many diets don't address because it's all about whatever the new trendy thing is. Absolutely. And it's a lot about food addiction as well, don't you think? And not just the diet that people are, there is some addiction to the food and it's the emotional component like you mentioned. No, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't even realize how they have a feeling they don't like, they go to food, they have a feeling they don't like, they go to food. And then they just all of a sudden are going to food all the time. They don't even know why. They're feeling restless. They're feeling this. Mm-hmm. They're going that. They go to food. And then the chemicals in the food are addictive as well. So there's a lot of internal and external forces where all roads are leading to food. And so how can people stop this? What is it that they can do instead of going on diet after diet And if they are always turning to food, what can they do? First of all, they can do a really cold, hard look at like what's been going on. You you know, like honestly, like where have things been going sideways? I remember honestly, like being on the phone with, you know, a family member and, you know, bickering about something and opening up the fridge and eating ice cream while arguing with someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, right there is a huge problem. So when have you, even in your own behavior, noticed like food is not being eaten in a formal setting? When is food being looked at to fix something or distract? Like those sort of parameters. And then as far as what you're eating, like what foods are you drawn to when you have certain moods? Like what sort of a thing is happening when you're restless, when you're angry, when you're sad? If if you're coping, if all, if all your coping mechanisms involve a drive-through, like those sort of behaviors, like just analyze them in yourself because there's a huge place to start. I mean, a really good place to start. And secondly, cleaning up your food. We have to clean up the food. We can't just decide 
when a family member annoys us when we're on the phone, we're going to go eat carrots. Much more Mm -hmm. consistent with our food. Because ideally what we get on is it's called a food plan or a food protocol, which is a way of eating that you're going to stick to for pretty much the rest of your life, even on Christmas, even on your birthday, where you eat normally about the same way all the time. You're eating fruits and vegetables, you're eating protein, you're eating healthy fats, but it's not this huge swinging of calories and treats and all this stuff that we've been doing forever because that doesn't work. So that means a lot of food's going to have to go like cakes and bags of gummy bears and most likely bread because all those foods like light, uh, lighten up all those pleasure sensors in our brain. And those are addictive. Those need to go because it's really hard to clean up our behavior when we're still having those chemicals. So you have to do both. You can't just do one or the other. You have to do both. Okay. And also what about sleep as well? How is that connected with food and being able to lose weight or get to the body you want or be healthier? Sleep is huge because if we don't get enough sleep, we actually will gain weight. It's it's like, Mm -hmm. it's nuts. I did a presentation a couple months ago and when I was doing all the research, like even one night of bad sleep can suppress our hormones that regulate our appetite and can increase our desire for carbohydrates. It's crazy. One night of sleep. And the more sleep we get, the more likely we are to be satisfied with less food. The more sleep we get, the less stressed we are. The more stressed we are, the more likely we are to gain weight because of the cortisol. Like Sleep can really set the tone for us making good decisions. And oftentimes when we're tired, we go to the food that's going to give us the quickest energy, which we always on a certain level think of as quick acting carbs. So like, where's the pasta, which so many of us are used to thinking of like, that's going to give us energy, which actually gives us the quickest acting and shortest long-term source of energy. So we're more likely to be drawn to carbohydrates when we're really tired, like the quick acting ones, but it just creates a whole mess. And, you know, not enough sleep is defined as less than six hours, which most American adults, they're in there a lot of times. So getting more sleep is a really great way to lose weight. (laughs) Sounds kind of bizarre, but also if you decide to stop eating past dinner, that will eliminate so many calories just from nighttime snacking. Mm -hmm. So what I do is if say I want to be asleep at 10, I stop eating at seven. So it's three hours and then 90 minutes before I want to be asleep. So that would be what, 8.30. I just turn off all my screens. Usually I go to sleep without a boredom, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'll read a book or a magazine, talk to my husband or something. I don't know, whatever, because the blue light of your of your computer, your iPad, it stimulates a part of your brain. So oftentimes, like if you've ever known someone that turns off their iPad and tries to go to sleep, they might go to sleep, but you know, studies have shown like when they're talking to monitors, it's not as restful as someone that does the book, magazine, old school sort of route. So sleep is very important with 
losing weight as well. And also just weight management, just, you know, regular old life. So you make better choices if you're not always sleep deprived. Okay. And you're right about the mindless nighttime snacking and just like you said, be a little bit bored. That's a great idea to shut off your electronics at 8.30. And that's a good way because you can just really mainly like staying online way at night and then all the light and not to the worst thing, like, which I got to stop doing is yeah, using electronics in bed too. Like before you go to bed, looking at your phone or looking at Instagram. I'm really, I mean, it's not conducive to good sleep. I don't know if you get those reports like I do from my phone where it tells you how many hours you spent on your phone last week. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, it's scary. It's good that they have that though. But now also stress is another thing that's related as well. So when people are under stress, you know, their, their cortisol is spiking, just all these other things that we've been talking about. So how is stress management? How is that? What do you think when you work with your clients? Well, stress is really harder and harder, but you have to think longer term when it comes to stress because, you know, sleep, like I said, you know, just turning off electronics, not eating, that's sort of a quicker fix. But stress, you know, this stress is a really different thing because the more stressed we are, the more stressed we feel. So when someone tells mm-hmm. you, just don't feel stressed, you're like, be thanks go away. But, you know, long-term like eating right, getting enough sleep, having some sort of stress Mm -hmm. management protocol, whether it be yoga or journaling or walking or deep breathing or something, meditation, maybe you get into plants, some sort of daily ritual you have for stress management will help tremendously. Because let's face it, like, it doesn't hurt. Even if you get like adult coloring books, mm-hmm. I don't care. Do something to just kind of like lower your blood pressure, just chill out. And like I said earlier, the more stressed we are, we're more likely to release cortisol. Cortisol like means we hold on to body fat and the body fat we hold on to likes to hang out around our waist, mm-hmm. which is not a place most of us like to have extra body fat. But cortisol needs to be lowered over time. We can't just, you know, get more sleep on Monday and it's better by Tuesday. So over time, we need to go for those walks or learn how to meditate, journal, you know, inhale, possibility, exhale, stress, or whatever Mm -hmm. you need to do to change how you manage the world as you have it. Because like I said, life isn't going anywhere just because you want it to be a little calmer. So when it comes to stress, I don't want people to be stressed about losing weight and doing the right thing and being super obsessive about it because it will happen, but we need to just calm down about it and know that like our health is what we're trying to prioritize, not necessarily with what the scale reads this morning. And with stress, a lot of it is like if we're always in high alert, it's like, like I guess, the evolution part. So if we're always like in fight or flight or freeze, our body will respond. So have you ever known someone that's always stressed out? Yes. And that used to be me. I mean, I, I still have a lot of stress, but I used to show it more. Yes. The thing is too, is like, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot going on. I'm not going to say that I don't. It's how I respond to it, you know, and how I choose to look at it. 
and also how I prioritize. Like mm-hmm. there's some things that I just, you know, I had to just vote them off the island, right? Um, and then other things are top priority every day. So it just really comes down to like how we look at it. And maybe there's some outsourcing you can do, or maybe some things you just don't even bother with anymore because let's face it, like maybe you don't really care mm-hmm. that much if you make dinner versus, you know, ordering HelloFresh. It doesn't matter. But whatever it is, be okay with it and just move on. But always feeling like DEFCON 5 or whatever it is, it's not helping anyone, especially yourself. So your book, Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? Okay. And it will be online and also it will be in bookstores as well. Yeah. All major bookstores. It's on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Oh, okay. And if they want to learn more about your services, do you have a website they can go to? Absolutely. I'm at erinwathenwellness.com. Great. And it's W-A-T-H-E-N. So erinwathenwellness.com. Yes. Now, before we sign off, are, are there a few other things you want to share with our listeners? Maybe a, a few ways that they can be healthier next week by next week. First of all, get more sleep. <laughs> Just really get more sleep. Drink more water is a really big thing. So many people just drink coffee and soda and a lot of alcohol. Try to know what you're eating the night before if possible versus just drive throughs and burgers and making all those decisions on the fly and getting way too hungry and ordering the nachos. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for those tips and for all of your knowledge and sharing that on a teaspoon of healing. And again, people can go to Aaron Wathen wellness, W A T H E N.com. And they can find out about you and they can pre-order your book. Why can't I stick to my diet on Amazon and Barnes and Noble? Yes. Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this episode of a teaspoon of healing. If you have any questions for me or for Erin, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact and fill out the form. I'll get back to you. You can also visit me on Instagram at teaspoonofhealing or facebook.com slash teaspoonofhealing. And if you are not a current subscriber on iTunes, you can find me there. And I would love it if you left me a star rating and a review. Stay tuned. Another episode's coming up next week. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. Hey there, this is Sean. And this is Frank Jed from Sensibly Cynical. And you can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher application. Or just be real, you can just Google our name, Sensibly Cynical. That too.